from the book of Kings, from 1 Kings chapter 18. As we continue our exposition in the book of Kings, focusing especially in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. So today we'll meditate on 1 Kings chapter 18. There's a lengthy reading, so please pay attention. 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll read all the verses. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them fifty in a cave and fed, and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of water, into all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts." So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go, tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I seen, that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation, that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go, thou thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither. I know not. And so when I, when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was he not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now thou, thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him, Today, So Obadiah went to meet with Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Are thou he that troubles Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves, four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then say Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut in pieces, and lay it on, on wood, 
and put, on, put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one, one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is stalking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he, sleep, he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cry aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with these stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and put it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slew them there. And Elijah say unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and put his face between his knees, and say to his servants, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. 
And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This far the reading of God's infallible word. Blessing upon the sermon today. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we come before thee in thy throne, we confess that thou art the only God and Lord of lords. And, O Lord, we confess that salvation belongs to thee alone. No other idol, no other God can bring salvation but thee, Lord. And we pray for the fulfillment of the psalm that we just sang, that salvation to the Lord belongs. In him his saints are blessed. O let thy blessing evermore upon thy people rest. O Lord, we make these words our prayer as well before thee that thy blessing would be upon us, and that thy salvation, thy salvation would come to us, even to they. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. So a brief summary of Israel's situation. Israel was under paganism, as we saw. It was a divided nation between the north kingdom and the south kingdom, and they were at war. A constant war against one another. And now Ahab, a wicked king, came to the throne. They were already a pagan nation, but now a pagan king came to the throne with a pagan wife. And now their hearts was going even further away from the Lord. So it is in this scenario that God raises Elijah. That God raised a prophet to call out sin and to bring a message of repentance to his nation. And for now three and a half years, the God of Israel was mocking or challenging Baal. Baal was known to be the God of fertility, the God of rain and fertility. And now for three and a half years, there was no rain in Israel. And by that, God was challenging the supposed authority that Baal had over that land. But that was not enough. God had to discredit Baal in a public way so that all people could see that Baal was not a god. Before all his followers, God would discredit Baal once again. God could not simply send rain again upon the land without saying anything. Otherwise, perhaps the Baal worshippers would say something like, Oh yeah, Baal had some weak ears. But now he's back. See, the rain came back, so now Baal is back. So it wouldn't be enough for God simply to send rain back to the land. He had to publicly humiliate Baal. And this chapter is a God contest. It's a God contest to see who is the real God. Who is the real God over Israel and over all the world? There is only room for one God. And the real God deserves obedience. It's only room for one God, and the real God demands obedience. That is the message that we'll meditate this morning. And to do so, we'll divide our text under three points. First, verses 1 to 19, a call for battle. Second, verses 20 to 38, confrontation. And third, 39 to 46, conciliation. So first, let's see the call for battle. The Lord tells Elijah that he will send rain again upon the land, but not without bringing a warning to the people first. So he sends Elijah before King Ahab once again, this time to announce a call for battle. But before, before that, before Elijah meets Ahab, we are introduced to another character in this story, Obadiah. See, Obadiah is said to be a servant of Ahab. And not, in only, not any type of servant, but a chief of staff. Obadiah was serving as a chief of staff in Ahab's house. But even though he served the king Ahab, he was putting his life at risk by hiding the prophets of the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, we are told that the faithful priests and prophets in the land of Israel were being slaughtered. They were 
either running away from Israel and going to Jerusalem, or they were simply being killed in that land. So this is the scenario. And so Obadiah was trying to hide these men to protect them from being slaughtered by the hands of Ahab and Jezebel. Verse 4 tells us that while the prophets were being executed in the land by orders of Ahab and by orders of the evil Jezebel, Obadiah was hiding the prophets and protecting them from death sentence. See, the name Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. So although Obadiah was the servant of Ahab, he was first and foremost a servant of Yahweh. And he was willing to put his own life at risk to obey God first. So Elijah was not alone after all. He thought to be alone, but he was not alone. There was at least someone else, Obadiah. There were other faithful servants of the Lord in Israel, those who Obadiah was protecting too. It's kind of ironic that inside that evil house, the evil throne room of Ahab, God had a, a secret agent, an undercover agent who was there protecting his people, protecting the faithful remnant within Israel. Ahab was trying to find the followers of Yahweh to kill them, while Obadiah was there from, with the orders of Ahab actually trying to protect them. Ahab was concerned with saving horses, while Obadiah was there trying to save God's people. And God preserves his remnant in outstanding ways. Through unthinkable ways, through unthinkable means, through a humble servant. Even the Lord saved his servant, even in a cave, in a humble cave with bread and water. But God was protecting his faithful remnant. Just as he did with Elijah, now he's doing with his people within the land. The famine was upon the land. The hunger was so great that the king himself had to leave the throne room to go and search for water and, and food. Can you imagine how humiliating it is for a king to leave his throne to search for water? So the text says in verse 6 that Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures. So Ahab, the king himself, had to leave the throne room to search for water and food. And Obadiah went his way, and he found Elijah. Providentially, the way that Obadiah went was the way that Elijah was. And Elijah immediately asked him, to go where King Ahab is. And then the debate between the two stars, between Obadiah and Elijah. Should Obadiah bring Elijah before Ahab? Obadiah was very concerned with Elijah's plan, with the prophet's strategy. The first fear, perhaps, was that Ahab would kill Elijah himself. Ahab was killing all the prophets because of Elijah, so what would he do with Elijah? But second, and perhaps the greatest fear, was that Ahab would kill Obadiah himself. See, his concern was that Obadiah would go to Ahab and tell, and tell him where Elijah was. And by the time Ahab gets there, the Spirit of the Lord would come and carry Elijah away. So Ahab would think that Obadiah was a liar. And because of that, he would kill Obadiah. So God raptures Elijah and Obadiah is killed. That's what he thought. So it didn't sound as a good plan. And he even says twice that he thought the plan of the prophet was going to get himself killed. Verses 12 and verse 14. He, that is Ahab, shall slay me. He was sure that that plan was going to lead to his death. He knew that Elijah was going to be spared somehow. He knew that the hand of the Lord was upon that prophet, was upon Elijah, and the Lord would protect him. But what about him? What about his life? He had some concerns. See, it's not that Obadiah was selfish. It's not that Obadiah was so concerned with his own life that he would not obey the Lord. No. It was a very honest fear of being executed. Nothing wrong in trying to 
avoid that death. Obadiah and Elijah had very different personalities. See, Elijah had a very confrontational ministry. Elijah went before the king and announced a message of repentance. Elijah was in the front lines there. But Obadiah also was serving the Lord. Although in the behind the scenes, Obadiah was also serving the Lord and protecting God's people. The Lord uses them both. Obadiah was more behind the scenes, but he was providing for God's people. Not everybody has to be an Elijah-like character. Through our regular lives, God, the Lord uses, uses our lives for building up His kingdom, even through humble means, even behind the scenes. We are not necessarily called for great works. We are simply called to work and to be faithful. And how much God will make that grow, that is up to Him, of His sovereignty. We are simply called to be faithful. And more than fearing Ahab, Obadiah feared the Lord. And that is exactly our call. Obadiah feared God, verse 12. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. There was a greater fear in Obadiah than the fear of his life. The fear of the Lord. He feared God and he knew he had to obey God first. Prophets are... Prophets are not a powerful tool in God's hand that he uses. No. They are a tool in God's hand that he uses powerfully. That is the difference. It is the power of God that makes the tool powerful. We just had the elections of elders in the church and deacons. Well, do you know how to execute your, your office faithfully? Well, the answer is fear the Lord. It's simple. There are different gifts in the church, different ways to execute your office, different things that has to be done. But fear the Lord. Be faithful to Him. Obey His commandments. And He will use you for building up of His kingdom. That's our call. This is what unites both Elijah and Obadiah. Though executing different offices, this is what brings them together and what brings us together and fearing God and obeying Him. Though in different ways, in different personalities, both served the Lord. And what about us? How have we served the Lord? Not all of us serve the Lord as officers in the church, but how have we served the Lord even behind the scenes, in our work, just as Obadiah did? How have we been serving the Lord for the building up of His kingdom, for the proclamation of His gospel. And notice, young man, that you are not dismissed. You are included. But it says that from my youth, I have feared the Lord. From my youth, you are here in the church of God, hearing His word. And He calls you to fear Him and to obey Him from your youth. You should fear and obey the Lord in every place, in every stage of our lives, and every time and everywhere that we go. Fear the Lord and obey Him. Elijah was determined to fulfill his mission, and he wanted to, meet, to make clear that the one who wanted to go there and meet the king was him. He was not going there because the king wanted to see him, but because God had a message to him. Verse 15, And Elijah say, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. And before, before that request, Obadiah finally attends the request of the prophet and brings him to Ahab. And as soon as he arrives, verse 17, When Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, are thou he that troubles Israel? After three and a half years, Ahab learned nothing. He thought that the cause for all the trouble upon the land, of all the famine on the land, was Elijah. Not his own sins, 
He didn't recognize his own sins. In three and a half years, he didn't examine himself, but he thought Elijah was the cause. Are you the one troubling Israel? That's a very normal impulse, isn't it? It is easier to complain about the effects of sin, of the consequences of sin, than it is to go into the root of sin, the cause of sin in our own lives. Ahab tried to remedy the effect rather than combat the cause of sin. He didn't care about his soul. Ahab tried to find water instead of turning to his sin, which was the very cause of not having water. His concern was with the effect of sin, not with sin itself. He got angry with Elijah and the God of Elijah, but not with his sins. And how often do we do the same? We get angry with the effects of sin in our lives, but not with the sin itself that caused it. Isn't different than what we do? We are quick to be angry with others as well, but it's low to be angry with our sins which very often is the cause of our problems. This is what happens in any type of discipline. Children, when mom and dad discipline you for something that you did, what is often the first reaction? As you get angry with mom and dad, you get mad with what is happening, not necessarily with what you did, but with what they did to you. It's the same for you, grown up, when you get punishment from your boss, perhaps, for something that you did or didn't do, your misbehavior at work, you get mad with him. Or when you receive church discipline for not repenting of your sins, and you then leave the church, you get mad with the consequence of sin, but not with sin itself. This is a very common behavior. Confronting sin is hard. That is the reality. Confronting sin is a hard work. It's a battle. This is why God prepared this scenario to really call out sin. Elijah points out the cause of sin, verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. How? In that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And thou hast followed Balin. You are the cause, and your sin is the cause of all this trouble. Yes, it was a call for battle against all the false gods, but it was also a call for battle against sin, against all the sin in Israel. They forsook the commandments of the Lord, and now God is putting them to the test. The same obedience that came from the fear of the Lord and Elijah and Obadiah, God now wanted to stir up in all Israel. God wanted all His people to manifest the same fear and obedience to Him. And He wants the same obedience from us today as well. This call for battle is for us too. Not simply against all immorality outside the church, but against all idolatry inside ourselves, inside our hearts, a call for battle against our sin. Sins have consequences, and we should fight against it. It's a battle. It's a fight to renounce sin and live to God. So Elijah asked to gather all Israel in Mount Carmel. He was going to give an unforgettable challenge to the false god. Who is the true God? Who is the true God? Do you want to know? Come to Mount Carmel and you will see. Elijah asked to gather the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the groves. Groves is the wooden pole that symbolizes a Canaanite fertility goddess. So on the one side, we have hundreds of prophets representing Baal. And on the other side, we have Elijah representing the Lord God of Israel. Call for battle. This challenge would happen in Mount Carmel, which most likely was a known place for the Canaanites. 
They would claim that to be a holy place for Baal worship. The Canaanites thought that that was a holy ground where they did all their rituals in that place. So God was given Baal the upper hand. Baal had the advantage of the field here. He was bringing the fight to Baal's territory. And this is where the confrontation happens. Our second point. Elijah would not pray for the return of rain before, taking, before talking to the people's heart. And here is the summary of Elijah's challenge. Verse 21. How long hold ye between two opinions? Is the Lord God? Follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You cannot serve two masters. Idolatry is not an option. It might be an option with false gods, but it's not an option with the one true God. So if the Lord be God, follow Him. Obey Him. You see the order here? First, doctrine leads to obedience. Is the Lord God? Is that your theology, your doctrine? Then follow Him. Obey Him. Obey His commandments. You do what you believe. This is putting your allegiance where your mouth is. You do what you profess you believe. And there is no neutrality. It's either or. It can be both. And God demands complete devotion. If you say that you give your allegiance to God, then obey His commandments. This ought to have consequences. To whom you profess your allegiance, this ought to have consequences in your life. You need to live in, in accordance to your profession. You are called to follow Him. And to follow, you need to know Him. How do you obey someone who you don't know? Doctrine and obedience walk hand in hand. But maybe you are thinking, what was so attractive about Baal worship anyway. What was so attractive about Baal worship that the people would forsake the Lord and turn to these false gods? Dr. Dale Davis gives a list of four reasons. First, the appeal of royal sanction. The appeal of royal sanction. This is what the government was in favor of. Ahab and Jezebel pushed the agenda of Baal worship so this was a good way to fall in the grace of the government. Does it sound like our days today? If you want to fall in the grace of the government, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should say or not, or not be saying. Second, the appeal of tradition and history. They could argue that Baal was the God worshipped in Canaan even before the Israelites came there. Even before the promise was given to Abraham, before God's people got there, this is our tradition. This is how things have always been. Third, the appeal of need or relevance. The appeal of relevance. Baal was the fertility God, and he would be responsible for bringing prosperity to their crops. At that time, this was very relevant as this was the primary means of living. So do you want prosperity? Well, here is Baal, the god of prosperity. And fourth, the appeal of sexuality. There was a lot of promiscuity going on in these places. These places were known for being places of promiscuity. You could go to these places, and there were whores there all the time, and even relationships there. So promiscuity was going unpunished and it was very much public. So that was, this was definitely an appeal. So these are the appeals of Baal worship. And I ask, is it different than the appeals of the idols of our days? Did it change that much from the time of the prophet? Or does it sound very much like the appeals that we have today to compromise? to be in a favor of relationship with the government. The appeal of distorted tradition or of doing things just because of tradition. The appeal of money, of prosperity. The appeal of immorality with no shame or guilt. 
This is very much, much what we live today, the appeals of our time to follow false gods. And I can tell you, you can find a church that fits any or multiple of these characteristics. You can find a church that will accept any of these, and perhaps many of these, if not all of these. This is what people are still looking for, even today. But how would they prove which one is the true God? Verse 24. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. A simple challenge. Simple, the simplest challenge. Everybody agrees. And first we have the temple of the Baal worshippers. Verses 26 to 29. They call in the name of Baal from morning even to noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. They were going up and down, jumping one way to the other, crying out. Verse 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is stalking or he is pursuing. He is going to the bathroom or he is in a journey or perhaps he sleeps and must be awaked. I mean, as a God, you would expect that he would be beyond these mundane needs. That's what Elijah is saying. 28. And they cry aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. It was a hysteria, a lot of noise, a lot of disorder, a chaotic scenario. They were trying everything, but all that hysteria was useless. It was nothing, not even a voice from heaven, much less fire coming from heaven. And this will contrast later on with all the calmness of Elijah before the Lord. But we need to be careful with this Baal mentality in our lives too. We might think if maybe we were more energetic or more fervent with more extravagant activities, we could move God to do something. This is growing in the evangelical churches nowadays. See, you do this, and God will do that, will bless you with that in return. It's a bargain with the Lord. This is how every other pagan religion works. This is the very mentality of a pagan religion. It's a religion of works. You do this to God, and He will do that to you. And we can be tempted to bring this Baal worship mentality in the way that we worship God too. It's more challenging to rest purely in God's grace than it is to try to bargain, to work, and to merit something in return. It's easy to have a big list of do's and don'ts and expect that you please God and then receive something in return. And we can have even legitimate activities that are being done for illegitimate reasons. If you do X, well, God will do Y. Don't treat God like a vending machine that you put in something and expect to get something back in return. Remember that all that you receive, you receive because of God's grace. Not because we deserve, not because we have done something to merit that, but because of His grace and His grace alone. Elijah waited until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, verse 29, to remember the people of the law of God. That was the time that the sacrifice should be offered, that the Lamb of God should be offered, Exodus 29, verses 38 to 41. And he was using that to remember the people of God's ordained way of worship. 
So they tried all that. Now let me remember you the way that we are supposed to be worshiping God, the way that he has ordained. Verse 30. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah was not there to institute a new religion or a new way of worship. He was not an innovator. He was there to reform the church, to revive the church and reform that, to bring them back to the true way of worship, going back to worship as God has instituted. And then Elijah picks up 12 stones, verse 31, and remember them of God's covenant that Israel shall be thy name. The point of the whole challenge was to remember Israel of God's covenant, that they are one united nation under God, one united people under God. Remember God's covenant. You are Israel, God's people. As much as Elijah represented God's hand of judgment over all iniquity, he also represented God's hand of grace inviting his people back to a reconciled relationship with the Lord. The people should follow, once again, the one and true God. Who is the true God? It was the time for the God of Israel to pass the test. And as if asking for fire from heaven wasn't hard enough, Elijah decided to soak the firewood with water. Verses 32. Three to 35. Children, perhaps all of you know, but wet stuff doesn't burn. And Elijah was asking to soak with water all that wood, all the, those things. Wet stuff doesn't burn. That was to show that the means were not a, really a hindrance to the power of God. Nothing could stop God. And God didn't need any help. God is all-powerful. Elijah prayed to God, verse 36, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Elijah announces the Lord who he is and that there is a turning back to him, that the Lord is willing to turn them back to him to reconcile them to him, to bring them back, to rebuild the faith of the people. So finally, in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. It was not an ordinary fire. It consumed the sacrifice with power and and wrath from heaven was not an ordinary fire. It was mighty, powerful, demonstrating God's power. Can you imagine the fear of the Baal worshippers at that moment? Not only did they fail in their test, but here is the God of Israel with showing mighty power, consuming that sacrifice with fire. They were in the wrong side of the fight. God answered in power. And the fact that God's fire came upon that sacrifice shows that the Lord accepted Elijah's sacrifice. That was an acceptable sacrifice to him. False God doesn't control rain. Much less can a false God atone for sins. At the same time that the fire was a a threat against all enemies of God, showing, see, this is how powerful is God. See what He can do and what He will do to all iniquity. It was also a sign of reconciliation being provided. The hope for Israel was not lost. It is easy for us to think, oh, we wish that God would act in our days in the same ways that he did during the times of the prophet Elijah, with mighty power and fire from heaven. It's easy for us to wish for that. But see, it was not a reward for their faithfulness that God sent fire from heaven. It was actually 
the result of their unfaithfulness that God had to do this, that got to this point. The miracle it was not a reward. It was a sign of their disobedience, of how bad they were. But thanks to God's grace, the hope of reconciliation was not lost. That's the third point, the conciliation that God brings. The people turn back to God, verse 39. They fell on their faces and they say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yes, this is the true God. That is the result of the match and this is the true God. There is only one true God. There can be two. Just as the Lord has said in Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. Israel was being reminded of that promise. There is only one Savior and one Lord. And Elijah then applies the Old Testament law from Deuteronomy chapter 13. That any prophet that takes God's people out of the way out of worshiping the one true God, worshiping false gods, should be executed. And so the fierce judgment is brought to all prophets of Baal. See, the irony, God's prophets were being slaughtered, and now God is slaughtered all their prophets. This episode might shock us, but it is to show that sin has terrible consequences. This is how nasty, how Horrible sin is, how destructive sin is. Sin even has collective consequences, not only individual, but collective, devastating consequences. The problem is that we misunderstand or we underestimate God's holiness. We think we can play with His holiness, to take His name in vain, to play with His holiness. This might show also our own lack of sanctification and fear of Him. We are more surprised with the fact that God judged all the false prophets than with the fact that God is spared the whole nation. The whole nation went after false gods. All of them should be punished with death. But God spared them. All of them deserve this destiny. But instead of judging them all, the Lord was going to bring reconciliation to His people. After sending fire from heaven, it was time for the Lord to send again rain upon the land. Verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat, drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. It's interesting that Elijah said that there is a sound of abundance of rain. There was no sign of rain whatsoever at that moment. Not a sign of rain. But somehow Elijah heard, or somehow he knew, he knew by faith of what God was about to do. He rested in God. He knew what God was going to do. And the great prophet goes up the mountain to pray, to pray alone with his face between his knees and humility before God, showing his complete helplessness before this one true God. The only thing he can do is pray, verse 42. God could have responded quickly to Elijah's prayer, right? He could have responded immediately even, right after the fire from heaven, God could have sent rain. But it pleased the Lord to have Elijah humbly praying over and over again. Seven times Elijah prayed, how many times have we prayed? Or how long have we been praying? Storming the mercy seat. Praying to the one true God. How persistent are we in trusting His promises and bringing them back to God? Prayer is humiliating. That is the truth. When we pray, we are confessing that we cannot do it ourselves. And only God can do. Lord, I cannot do it myself. And that's why I'm praying. Because I'm trusting that thou art the only one who can. When we pray, we confess that we cannot have done it. And we depend upon God. J.I. Parker commented, 
There is no Armenian when we are on our knees. For if we were Armenians, we would get up and do it ourselves. Praise, recognizing that God is sovereign and coming to Him and asking for grace. There's no Armenian when we are on our knees saying that, no, I cannot do this. There is no salvation, Lord, apart from Thee. Now I am on my knees confessing that I depend upon the God of Israel, upon the one true Lord to bring salvation. And the formula that Elijah applies here is a great model for us today. He takes God's promises, the very promises that he was going to bring rain upon the land, and turns it into prayer before God. So that that promises might happen, might come to pass. Isn't that amazing? That in prayer we are bringing back to God what he has already promised. Yet he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear his people calling for his name, praying to him, storming the mercy seat. And he blesses us through our prayers. Prayer is so powerful, so powerful. Do not take for granted such a privilege. Do not take for granted the privilege that we have to come before this one true God in prayer. And yet we pray so little. Our prayer lives is so small. Despite how powerful and important prayer is. Finally, it rained again upon the land. Verse 45. The curse was reversed. Finally, that curse that lasted for three and a half years was reversed. As the people turned back again to the Lord, the restoration of God as a sign of His blessing came upon the land, marking the reconciliation with His people, at least for now. Sadly, for Israel's story, that reconciliation would not last for very long. Ahab rode his chariot, but Elijah went running. And in the rain, God, verse 46, gird up his loins. The Lord was preparing Elijah because that would not be the end of his journey. In fact, it was just the beginning. The call of repentance to the people was not yet complete. Sadly, Israel would very quickly forget the Lord once again. And the Lord would have to bring a call of repentance again. But in conclusion, I would like to compare what happened on that day in Mount Carmel to what happened in Mount Golgotha. Matthew 27. The God of Elijah... The God of Israel stood in Mount Carmel on that day and called His people mightily to repent and follow Him. Behold the true God, now follow Him. But the God of Israel also came down, came very low on Golgotha to meet with us and to call us to serve Him. Behold, the true God. Follow Him. Carmel means garden or vineyard. So that was the mountain of fertility, of beauty. Whereas Christ was crucified in Golgotha, a place of a skull. Both occasions, God's wrath over sin was manifested from heaven, and the sacrifice was consumed with power so that reconciliation for our sins could then be offered. In the fertile field, Elijah cried out for a redeemer, but in the place of called school, as our redeemer was nailed for our sins on that cross, they misunderstood him. Matthew 27, verses 46 and 47. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them then that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. That is, they, he is calling for Elijah. Those people didn't understand. They thought that Christ was the one who needed help as he was crying out on that cross. When he was actually the one providing help for his people. Elijah was there crying for a redeemer, for redemption. Whereas Christ was there crying out, It is finished. I have done the work. I and only I, the one true God, have complete the work. Only God can save his people. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. Elijah was the one who cried for redemption. Because only the Redeemer can cry, it is finished. He is the perfect and final atonement. There is no neutrality, brothers and sisters. No other way unto salvation but through this one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. No other God who controls rain or sends fire from heaven. And above all, no other God who can save us from our sins and from the judgment of God. The Lord Jesus calls you to stand in the battle against idolatry as well as the idolatry in your own hearts. To confront your sins, to battle against it. And he does so because he has provided a way to reconciliation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He has provided a way to reconciliation for sinners like you and me. To come once again to his presence. There is only room for one God. And one God alone. Only room for one God in your heart. And there is only one true God in the universe. The Lord is the real God. And we should follow him faithfully. If the Lord God... If the Lord be God, follow Him. There's only one God, so follow Him. As we read in Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. How long will you halt between two opinions? The Lord is God. And he has provided a way to save us from our sins. To be reconciled with him through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So follow him. Bring back to him his promises. Bring back to him the promise of a a Savior, of a Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In prayer, come to him and follow him. For there is only one true God, and that is our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's come now before the Lord in prayer once again. O Lord, our God Almighty, as we gather together in thy house today, we confess that there is only one God, that the Lord our God is one God, O hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. No other, there is no other, there is no space for idolatry in our hearts, Lord. O Lord, remove the false idols from our hearts. Turn us back, Lord, to Thee. Turn our hearts to Thee, Lord. Deliver us, Lord, from all the idolatry around us. 
Our hearts, Lord, are a factory of idols, Lord. So have mercy. Turn us back to Thee, Lord. And, O oh, Lord, in power, bring a message of repentance, a message of revival to Thy church and to the nation even, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Remember Thy people of who Thou art and what Thou hast done in the past. O Lord, let none of us leave this place not knowing that there is only God sitting upon the throne and there is only one way to salvation and that is Jesus Christ. We don't want you to stand on that day apart from that sacrifice because the fire of thy wrath will be manifested from heaven either upon ourselves and our sins or upon the cross of Christ that took away our sins. So, O Lord, enable us to follow Thee today and forevermore, to be faithful servants in Thy house, to worship Thee, to profess Thy name, to die for Thee, to live for Thee, to love Thee, and to glorify thy name today and forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.